Again, this is Theology of Worship, a nexus. Louder. Okay. Louder. Can you hear me back there? All right. I got to put on my... See, I grew up in the Caribbean, and we used a lot of... Did a lot of open-air street ministry, many times without amplification. So I'm going to put on my street preacher's voice. Voice, 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 voice. All right. (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah, so this is Theology of Worship, a nexus. I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself a little later on, but here is my un-PC, unpolitically correct declaration. Here it is. I declare, in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that the meaningless so-called worship wars that have wounded so many of God's people and have severely undermined our witness to our communities are over. The time has come for us to be mature men and women of God and the leaders God intends for us to be. Right? God intends for us to reintegrate our fragmented services. This is nonsense. I'm not off script. I'm sorry. There is no traditional church in heaven. There is no contemporary church in heaven. There is no old church in heaven. There's no church for the blue hairs. There's no church for the hipsters. There's only one church. And listen to me. By engaging in this practice, we are doing the very thing that the wrath of Paul came down upon the Corinthian church for. We are dividing the body of Christ. Moreover, we are robbing our youth of the wisdom of our seniors. And we are robbing our seniors of the vitality of our youth. This is madness, and this must stop. Okay. Now it's off my system. I think I've violated almost every rule of homiletics. You know, you're supposed to win people over, and then you're supposed to hammer them. I hammer you in the beginning. I I only do this, though, because it is such an important issue. Um, This concept of worship wars will destroy the church. It's already destroying churches. Have you been in a church where people are wounded because of this foolishness? Yeah, let's call it foolishness. You're going to see why. By the end of today, you'll see why I think it is is foolishness. Um, Now, I want to give you an opportunity. Uh, we don't have a whiteboard in this room, but I want to give you an opportunity to, if four or five of you might just uh, state what you want to get out of this session today, or maybe a question you want answered. I'm going to take notes. I'm going to write them down. And when we have time, um, we will address them. So, shoot. What do you want to get out of this session today? Yes, my friend. Okay, good. Thank you. Okay, how do we merge? I'm going to write these on the back so I don't forget them when I turn this page. Okay, how to merge? Okay, yes. Uh, Donna, right? I can't remember your name. Good. Okay, all right. How to capture God's heart and communicate it. Very nice. 
Anyone else? What do you want to get out of this session? I had two brave souls. Anyone else? Yes. So a theology of worship. You will get that in spades <laughs> today. Um, anything else? Yes? Ah. Implement a heart of worship. Anyone else? I have four. Anyone else? Yes, I have two more. Go ahead. Yes and yes. Oh, we're going to address that today. Oh, yeah. Um, yes. Anyone else? Yes. Um, how to get your congregation to Thank you. Ah. Uh, Thank you. Thank Without shaming them? Huh? Without shaming them? Yeah. <laughs> or guilting them? Okay, good, good. Hopefully, well, thank you for, for your feedback. Um, I think uh, it is important for us to not only hear speakers when we come to things like this. We need to hear each other. So as far as, as much as laugh in me, as my old pastors used to say, I will try to make my remarks last until about uh, 11, just after 11, and then we'll open up for about 5-10 minutes for a little bit of Q&A beyond what um, these initial comments. So I'm going to go through fairly quickly, as much as I can. Um, so bear with me because of the speed, because I think I want you to hear each other as well. Okay? All right. Now, we already said how copies can be received. You can get a copy. On the bottom here is my Ohio Ministry Net address. Uh, please email me. I'll send you a copy. Now, who am I? I'm Renee Bradford, as you've heard. Um, I have a doctorate in theology, uh, particularly Pentecostal theology. It is a, uh, an important and fascinating topic of mine. Uh, I, in fact, I have a few people here who might have been... Were you guys at Full Gospel when I led worship there too? Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah. So I led worship in New York City for a while. I was a young adults pastor there at another church for a while. Um, so I've been pretty much all over. But this message, this teaching has been brewing in me for years because I've seen what has become of worship. And I want, as much as possible, to be a voice to help that. Now, you see a funny word um, in my title, nexus. What does that mean? What is a nexus? A nexus. Uh, here? <laughs> That's two X's, though, all right? This is one X. What is a <laughs> nexus? When things come together, a joining point, a connecting point, that is a, a nexus. So, my main discussion today is going to be providing you with connecting some important concepts together. The it nexus, okay, I didn't make, make a mistake, the plural of nexus is nexus, right? Um, just like the plural of sheep, right? Um, I'll provide you with eight of those, but note, note what this session is not. I cannot be because of time. It is not exegesis. So don't expect a verse-by-verse commentary. What I'm trying to do is provide a broad theological framework. 
Note also that not all details are covered. There are going to be some things that, you know, in a short space of time, we just cannot get to. Um, what I will do, though, is that I will go through worship. And we're going to use basic questions like what, who, why, when, where, and how. Just basic questions to set up this theology of worship. My hope is that this material can be transferable to your congregations. Be helpful for you when you have to go and try to convince people, look, you need to be worshiping. This is not an option for you. Right? I want to give you some tools right, uh, to, to break some of the tension that occurs in worship. All right, so let me jump straight into uh, what is worship. So that's the first question. Am I still, you're still with me back there? How's my pace? Am I too fast, too slow? All right, wonderful. I think Jay is going to give me the thumbs up and let me know I'm going good. All right, thanks, Jay. Um, What is worship? The main words for worship in both Hebrew and Greek might be a surprise to many people. Uh, because they're, they're not just wor- uh, words that deal with talking which is, or singing, which are the words that we're accustomed to hearing. Right. These two categories are first, posture, and disposition. So they're words that talk about our posture, kneeling, bowing, and, and words like that, laying prostrate. So posture and disposition, that is our attitude in our hearts. So the two Hebrew words, or the one Hebrew word that really covers this well, is shaka, which means to bow down before a superior. The other one is yare, which is to fear. In the Greek, it's a word that many of you might have heard, it's proskuneo, which is to kiss the hand, right? To kiss the hand or to kiss toward. Um, it is used sometimes of a dog, and if you have a dog, you know what I mean. They come and they just lick your hand. Right? It's an acknowledgement that, hey, I like you. <laughs> so the Greek word there, proskuneo. Then there's another Greek word. It's a verb, but it's normally in English translated as an adjective. And that word, word is sebo, which means to serve. Okay, so, there, uh, so there, there's the words for posture and disposition, and then there are words for action. I think I jumped down a little bit. Sebo, I said to serve. I'm sorry. Sebo means to fear. Uh, pardon me, I, I skipped my skip. But the second set of words, though, deal with action, the things that you do. And there are two Hebrew words, abad, which means to serve, not surprisingly. Darash, which means to seek. And in the Greek, latruo, which means also to serve. The English word, where we get the word worship, is worship, which means Literally, worth-ship. Or it's an acknowledgement of someone's worth. An example of how this is still used is if you ever saw British TV and they go into a courtroom, what do they call the judge? Your worship. Exactly right. Um, so recognizing that the judge is superior. Um, so this is where these words come from. So without getting into the technical details, and I could, but you don't want that. Um, let me suggest to you a working definition of worship. A working definition of worship. Worship is a lifestyle in which I train and direct all my faculties. That is my head, my heart, and my hands, or to be more sophisticated, the cognitive, the affective, and the psychomotor. 
So I, I, I direct my head, heart, and hands, and my energies for one purpose. To declare and portray the matchless worth of God. It's a fairly comprehensive definition, isn't it? That's because worship in the New and Old Testament is not just about what we say. It encompasses much more than that. It encompasses all that we do. So worship, then, is a lifestyle. So that brings me to Nexus 1. Remember we talk about joining together? Here's Nexus 1, it's on page 2. Worship involves three things. Attitude. What I feel. What I sense. Affirmation. What I say. That is where praise and worship, and, and where we get the confusion sometimes because we collapse everything into worship. But praise is about verbal expression of the glory of God. It's that verbal expression. It's that affirmation. So it's an affirmation of what I say and it's what I believe. That is affirmation. And then thirdly, worship involves action. What I do. So what I feel, what I say and believe, and what I do. These are crucial for understanding the nature of worship. Now, let's talk about who. The who of worship. The two who's. This is the first who. Who is the object of worship? Okay, you would think so, right? <laughs> you would think so. The problem is that the way we have construed worship is that it gets focused very much about ourselves. Right? It's about what I feel. Uh, what's going on in my heart. Now, our feelings and our attitudes are important, but they should never be the focal point of what we're doing. And, and this, I'm, I put a hint there, because as I talk this theology, I want to, because I was a practitioner myself, I want to give you some practical hints here. Beware of the songs with too much I in them. Right? It's all about me. Oh, I'm going to worship. I'm going to bow down. Now, I'm not specifically targeting that song. But all the actions about I, 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 I. It's like if you're, oh boy, I'm getting into trouble now. I've gone off script. It's like if you're trying to romance your wife, and all you do is say, I, 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 I. Ladies, what would happen? No, no. Mm. no, no. Oh, that's right. No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, that's true. And I agree. Uh, but we, we have so many songs with too much I in them. You see, the issue is that some worship leaders equate emotionalism with genuine worship. And they play on people's emotions. But worship, though it involves the emotions, is distinct from emotions. A good worship leader, therefore, facilitates a worship, an emotional worship expression, but she does not manipulate people, or she does not try to manufacture fake emotion. We see this too many times. Now, while I'm on a tangent, let me just briefly say here, it's a, fam a famous rant of mine, but I'm not going to rant too much today. Beware of the sexualization of worship. I'll say it again. Beware of the sexualization of worship, the eroticization of worship. We are passionate people. And the two places where that, 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 that those passions uh, are really close are when we worship and in our sexuality. 
There are people in your congregations that are struggling with sexual issues. Be careful of the language that you're using. Um, I'm not, not going to give an example. I'm on tape. <laughs> but there's songs out there where the language is about, you know, almost the old 80s kind of grind music. If you were around, you probably know some of that kind of music. And the lyrics are all about, you know, I want to touch, I want to feel, I want to hold you, I want to lean on your chest, I want to breathe on you. Whoa, 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 stop, stop, stop. You may feel that, and you may say that to God in your private space, but it is very awkward and strange if you did that in, in a public space. Yes, we want to be intimate with God as a community. There's some things I do with my wife in the private that I don't do in my living room with my kids around. It's not because it's bad. It's because it's private. Let's keep private things private. All right. Uh, it is never appropriate to be sexualized in worship. Now, who do we worship? Not our preferences. This is a big one. Not our preferences. We take our preferences and we say, if I like this, therefore, God must like this. If it is right for me, then it must be right for everybody. And what do we do? We elevate and we deify our preferences. See, many of us fail here as leaders. See, we are so desperate to have people in our churches that we want to cater to everyone's preference. But the only way to deal with this issue decisively is to declare emphatically this worship is not about you. It's not about what you want. It's not about what I want. This worship is about who? God. Now the question came up, um, how do we get people to, let's see, not merge, um, amend this heart of worship, right? That deals with this question. We have to let people know it's not about them. If church, if worship if we start off telling people, we're going to try to cater to everybody's needs. Okay, so these people need a hymn, right? You know what I mean. The blue hairs need a hymn. The hipsters need a, a, a guitar, you know, a, a box guitar, plunka, 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 three or four chords, right? And sipping the coffee. Then the young people, the youth need the screaming stuff. Right? Name me one worship team that can do all of that in one setting. None. And then if you have a mixed church, right? So you got the, you got the, forgive me, the, 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 the white Americans who want a certain kind of music, right? Here in Ohio, they like, again, the kind of pseudo country, this kind of Christian kind of adult contemporary kind of music, right? But then you got the, the African African Americans, where's the bass, man? Where's the bass? Where's the beat? I want to feel it, right? You got the ones who say, well, I got to stand, I'm going to worship God. And you got people like me, that if my socks aren't wet when I finish worshiping, I have not worshipped. <laughs> Needless to say, I'm in North Canton, Ohio. My socks have not been wet for a very, very long time. 
take that for what it's worth. <laughs> so, so, who is the object of worship? Who? The triune God. And notice, this is a very important clarification. Not just the Father or Jesus. A lot of our songs, you, you go to church, but all you hear is Jesus. I love Jesus too. He saved my soul. But Jesus didn't come on his own accord. Who sent him? The Father sent him. Jesus didn't do anything by his own power. Who did it? The Holy Spirit empowered him. So our worship needs to be truly Trinitarian. We worship the triune God by the will of the Father, through the Son, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, everything we do in worship, whether it's in church or out of church, must reflect this Trinitarian kind of emphasis. Again, beware of over-singing these Jesus-only sounds. If I had time, I'd talk about the theology behind that. But I don't. But just, just know, please, beware of over-singing these Jesus-only sounds. And also these me and Jesus, I don't know, I don't have a very good word for it. These me and Jesus kind of songs. It's as though it's just me and Jesus, nobody else. We're going to go and close the door. We're going to ignore everyone around us. It's just me and Jesus. That is deeply problematic. Why you come to church if, it, if you just want you and Jesus? Just turn on your iPod then. And just, you can go in your bedroom, turn your music as loud as you want, go in your car. You don't need the church if it's just me and Jesus. Beware, beware of that. Um, let's move on quickly. I have a chart here. Those of you who don't have the handout, just if you can look over someone's shoulder. If you don't, there's an extra one here. Um, this chart is important. The, the part on the left, the chart on the left, is how we typically construe, how we typically understand our relationship with God. Without proper teaching, we see Jesus as the one who is kind of, we have the direct line to, so he's our close, he's my best friend. Right? That kind of thinking. The Father is kind of fairly remote because, you know, he's the angry God that Jesus had to appease. Right? And the Spirit is somehow left somewhere out there. He comes in sometimes, maybe, sort of, kind of. If we are honest, this is how we experience worship. This is how we consider our relationship with God. But it is, moving to the left, to the right, rather, is a lot more dynamic than this. See, the Father is for us, too. The Bible never says, for God so hated the world that he gave his only begotten Son, or God was so angry with us that he sent his Son. What, what, is this, what does it say? God so loved the world. What is the one attribute that, that is lifted up in the nature of God over and over and over again? God is love, right? So we have access to the Father directly. Yes, we do. We can worship the Father. We can also worship the Son and worship the Spirit. And notice that Father, Son, and Spirit are all interrelating together with each other. And that finally, this is a community thing. It's a community. We are God's community. God, is, God relates to us as individuals, yes. But he relates to us as individuals in community. A great uh, African philosopher says, um, his name is um, uh, Mbiti, John Mbiti. He says, I am because we are. Really powerful statement. But 
we are in community with each other. In fact, when you read a lot of the yous in the Bible, most of those, by the way, are plural. Don't you know that the Spirit of God lives in you? Paul is not saying you singular. He's saying you plural. There's a, a community dimension of our worship. So this brings us to Nexus number two. Oh man, I'm going to have to hurry. Worship is a dynamic meeting of our heads, hearts, and hands with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, it is not simply about, again, what I say. It is a dynamic coming together of me and Jesus, me and the Holy Spirit, me and the Father. So worship is this Trinitarian experience, as I've said before. All right, moving along. Who would, so why do we worship? Why? It's obvious, isn't it? God is worthy of our praise. He set the stars in their place. He created us. He redeemed us. He is worthy of all that we can offer to him. But not only is God worthy, God demands our worship. Um, Luke 4.8, which is a quotation really of Deuteronomy 6.13. This is the, one of the temptation passages. Satan says to Jesus, worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms. And Jesus says, no. Worship the Lord your God, and Him only should you serve. Now, those who are paying attention will notice the two words that are worship words. Worship the Lord your God, proskuneo, the Lord your God, and Him only should you latruo. Right? So those two words are right there in that context. So God commands that we worship. Why do we worship? Because the, we love the God who first loved us. God loves us. Now here's a question, perhaps, for us to consider. Do you worship what you love? Or do you love what you worship? Do you worship what you love, or do you love what you worship? I think, really, it's both. Jesus says something analogous to this. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For a number of years as a young man, I used to say the opposite. Where your heart is, the treasure is going to be there. No, no, no. Is what you treasure, that's what you think about. That's what you put your effort into. In fact, this leads into number five. It's kind of out of order. But when we worship, it trains us to love and honor God. When we, we engage in this lifestyle of worship, it creates this feedback loop. Where the more I love him, the more I serve him, the more I worship him, is the more I want to love him, the more I want to serve him, the more I want to worship him. So there's this synergy. See what I did there? There's this synergy that is created. But worship is also the natural response of the redeemed person. God has put a spirit. We receive the spirit of adoption, whereby we do what? We cry, Abba, Father. It is a visceral, ah, that comes out of us. We have no choice because we're connected to the God we serve. Oh, I'm trying to move quickly. Why do we worship? So I have four points. And I'll go through this, I promise, really, really fast. Um, it reorients us towards God's perspective. We say it again. It reorients us towards God's perspective. Psalm seventy-three, seventeen is a really important passage. It's written by Asaph. May have been trans, uh, a, a transcription of a psalm that David wrote. We don't quite know. 
But he is depressed because the wicked seem to be prospering. Everything seems to be going right with the wicked. And he, the righteous, hey God, you forgot me? I'm here, you know. Yeah, I'm here. Until, the scripture says, he goes to the sanctuary. When he goes in the sanctuary, what, what does the scripture say? Then I understood. There's something about going into the presence of God that reorients us. It reminds us that there's a big God in heaven who is in full, perfect, and loving control of the affairs of the world. So if I am his child, I don't have to worry about the things that happen in front of me or the things that happen around me. Worship does that for us. Worship also exudes spiritual power. Second uh, Chronicles 20 is a very interesting passage where the Lord says, no, 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 I'm going to fight for you. But here's how we're going to do it. Instead of sending the army in front of you, Let's put the people in the robes. We're going to send the worship leaders first. What? God, you're crazy. But what did they say? They sang, give thanks for the Lord, for his love endures forever. And they kept singing, and they kept singing. And as they sang, the spiritual force was released, and the enemy was defeated. You have some enemies in your life, friends? Worship. Power is released. But also, true worship elicits a divine response. Second Chronicles 5 talks about this, where Solomon gives this dedication prayer for the temple. And what happens? A cloud of glory that the uh, rabbis called the Shekinah, it filled the house, and no one was able to stand to minister. It elicits a divine response. Listen, I, I'm looking forward to the day when I don't have to preach. When people are so wrapped up in, in, in God's presence. That all we can do is bow and weep and lift our hands. Look, God can do in two seconds what it will take me as a preacher ten years to do. So worship uh, elicits this divine response. But it's also a psychological imperative. Did you know that human beings are made to worship? Even that guy who comes to church. No, I'm not so much into worship. I'm not big into that. Watch him on Sunday afternoon when the Browns are playing. All of a sudden, this butter doesn't melt in my mouth kind of guy is like, Aha, you see that? That's worship. It's just the wrong object. Now, you ladies don't escape because the same is true. Some ladies are, well, you know, I'm so conservative, so... They watch their favorite show and they're talking back to the TV. <laughs> don't do it! Don't do it! Don't do it! Yeah. It elicits a response from you because, again, you've trained. Now, we don't, in our culture, we don't call that worship, but it really is. We need to be able to train ourselves in worship in such a way that that response that we give to things that are going to be passing away, that same response we can give to God. All right? Okay, let's move on. How should we worship? Ah, okay, let's see. I can do this. I can do this. Yeah. How, how should we worship? Jesus gives perhaps the best answer to this question. So we start with there. You know the story of the woman at the well? She gives him all kinds of grief. In fact, I have here listed six objections she gave to, G- gave to Jesus while Jesus is trying to talk to her. It's a social objection. 
logical objection, personal objection, moral objection, theological objection, procrastination objection, all these objections. But Jesus brings her down to the, to the main point. What does Jesus say? He says, but the hour is coming, and now it's here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him. How? In spirit and in truth. So let's explain a little bit of the spirit and truth thing. First, only by the renewing power of the Holy Spirit can we escape the self-absorption that we experience. Amen? Amen. We can become so wrapped up. It takes the regenerating and the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in and upon us so that we can truly open ourselves and look beyond our horizon towards heaven. The Holy Spirit reminds us. He gives us that power. But moreover, the Holy Spirit facilitates this transcendence. See, in worship, whether it's verbal or nonverbal, in worship, there's this transfer that is taking place. It's a spirit-to-spirit, beyond-words kind of communion. We have something similar sometimes in our human relationships, where we are, you know, we are so close to someone, we can finish their sentences. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I go to reach for my phone to call my wife, and all of a sudden my phone starts to ring. It's her trying to reach me. There's kind of a, a synergy <laughs> that takes place, right? That takes place, that, that binds us together, that beyond the logical, you know, it gets even weirder than this. Um, before, I, before my wife knew that she was pregnant, I knew. How did I know? I felt pains in my stomach. And I said, oh, what is this? This is strange. And the Lord said, yeah, you see, your wife is pregnant. And I went and said to her, honey, you're pregnant. She said, no. In fact, she didn't want to be pregnant because we had just had a baby not too long before. So our kids are, our kids are 17 months apart. And then these folks here know my kids. Uh, how did I know? I don't know how I knew. In fact, there's a, 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 um, a name for this uh, condition. It's called CUVAD uh, symptoms that happens far more frequently than people understand. But in worship, something like this happens, where it's a spirit-to-spirit connection that you have with God. And uh, you don't know why you know stuff. You don't know why you feel stuff. But, but you know something magnificent is happening. It's the Spirit of God that precipitates this. Moving on. Uh, truth. Let's talk about truth a little bit. <laughs> we need to know who we're worshiping. All theology is typically so bad that all we can do is say, I love you. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. And look, listen to our music. It's just the same. Adolescent. You mean, you've been a Christian 20 years and you can't find other things to say about God? The Bible is full, full of metaphors, full of things to say. We have tons of examples. The shallowness in our worship is a reflection that we are not thinking clearly enough, not applying ourselves clearly enough. Um, we need to worship intelligently. Now, friends, here's another hint. Review, if you're a pastor, if you are a worship facilitator, a worship director, make sure you re- review songs for theology and for common sense. Because there's a lot of stupid songs out there. You know what I'm talking about. The, the rhyming scheme is like, what? A three-year-old wrote this? Well, truth be told, a lot of these guys, and here's a hint. I'm, I'm, I'm being recorded, so I have to be careful. But a lot of these so-called Christian labels are not even owned by Christians. Amen. They are music factories. And these young men and women 
talented as they may be, are forced to crank out song after song after song to keep their names out there and to keep their contracts. And so they end up sounding blanca, 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 some variation of that, three or four chords. Beware of this. Don't be duped just because it, you hear it on Caleb. All right? It's not good, necessarily. I very frequently have to turn the radio off. After the third or fourth song that's stupid, I say, okay, that's it, I'm done. So, but it's not your fault. It is the fact that we have a culture that's dumbing down, moving quickly. Um, if you wouldn't preach it from your pulpit, why are you singing it? That's a good rule of thumb. If it's going to sound weird for your pastor to say it, why are you going to sing it? Because it's probably weird too, that way. All right, so worship leaders are crucial. So send them to Osam. This is a shameless plug. I'm the dean of Osam. Worship leaders need to be educated. In fact, pastors in the room, worship leaders know this already. You spend, as a worship leader, just as much time or sometimes more time in front of the congregation on a Sunday morning than your pastor. So you want to make sure people are saying intelligent stuff, spiritual stuff, not stuff that they're saying here and then the past has to come and fix it. Because how many of you know, a song remains in a person's mind far longer than a sermon. In fact, I think we can teach through music, but that's another story for another day. Okay, I'm just laying a foundation. We need to worship through study. In fact, one of the most important things that we can learn, one of the important, most important milestones stones for us to recognize is when our study becomes just as passionate, not just reading the Bible, when our study of the Bible becomes just as passionate as when we have the band going and everything going and, and, and the Spirit of God is at work. That is a mark of true, a true worshiper and true spiritual maturity. Um, long story short, don't say dumb stuff. So the next is three and four. Good theology and true worship are intimately related. They're not enemies. I'll say it again. Good theology and true worship are intimately related. So worship and true theology, sorry, true worship and good theology are together like this, the nexus. They facilitate each other. And secondly, or fourthly rather, the worship of God balances two concepts, direct spiritual encounter and reveal truth. We got the folks who are, I believe the Bible, and if I can't see it there, I'm not going to do it. Well, the Bible doesn't say a lot of things. On the other hand, you have the guys who are like, Woo! Everything that comes, they're onto it. What if we had worshippers who could worship with that intensity, but also with intelligence? What do you think would happen? Man, it will be heaven on earth, which is supposed to be. Supposed to be. Okay. Moving on. How should we worship? I have a few other things to say. Um, almost done. Good. We worship the Lord in holiness. In the beauty of holiness, the Bible says. We worship the Lord in surrender. We surrender to God. Another important point. We worship not just in uh, the third person. A lot of songs have he did this and he did this. Well, if you're singing to God, why can't you say you? Again, I'm talking to my wife. Oh, she is a wonderful woman. She's a wo- no one else is there, but you're talking. What? Are you crazy? No. You are wonderful. What a difference it makes when you move from he is to you are. A lot of songs, the rhyming schemes allow you to do this. To change the I and the you, uh, the I and the he to we and the you. Try it sometimes. It can be powerful. 
Uh, moving quickly. Uh, we worship in awe and reverence. Uh, everything is not awesome, okay? <laughs> everything is... <laughs> that is such a misused word. Of course, most people who saw the Lego movie don't understand the irony, right? It's a very ironic song. But everything is not awesome. It's overused. I prefer the word awful, but awful in English has become awful. <laughs> but awful is a word that describes a reaction that you're full of awe. Oh, wow. We should be awing at God. I don't have time to talk about days of awe. If you want to have some more details of days of awe, uh, we'll talk about it afterwards. We worship with joy and exuberance. Um, wow. Joy and exuberance. Psalm 47.1. Clap your hands, all you people, shouting to God with a voice of triumph. Wow, this is great. Scripture after scripture says, sing to the Lord, sing, sing lustily, sing with all your heart to the Lord. And for those of us who can't sing, Psalm 100 is there for you. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. <laughs> so we worship with joy and exuberance. We worship also in glorious variety. Singing and dancing and clapping and playing the music. There is no one prescribed way to worship. We worship in unity, all together, as one. We worship with our whole lives. Paul says, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beg you therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable but you know what that word means also? Worship. In fact, some translations say, which is your spiritual worship. That's where that, that comes in. Um, so we're worshiping with a renewed heart, renewed mind, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So Nexus 5, 6, and 7. Worship is both individual and corporate. Worship is both quiet and loud. Um, internal and external. Worship is both simple and complex. It is spontaneous and orchestrated. And it is never coerced. Can we say it again? It is never coerced. If we have to force people or cajole people into worshipping, I think this is an answer to the question, then they have severe spiritual problems. I cannot say any simpler. What you need to be doing is referring that person to forget pastoral help. It is either an educational issue or it's a spiritual, personal heart issue. Either way, a person who is in a service and does not want to worship, there is an issue far beyond just worship. Because, again, worship is the natural cry of the person who has been redeemed. Last page, and I'm going to be done. Um, when do we worship? That's a trick question, right? David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Worship must become for us as natural and regular as breathing. Only then do we become true worshipers. So worship is this lifestyle. Wherever I'm going, if I'm driving and someone cuts me off, I say a good four-letter word. No, I say God is good. That's a four-letter word, isn't it? <laughs> when things go wrong, when my natural inclination will be to swear, my natural inclination becomes, Lord, I thank you. Lord, I praise you. You're in control. It has to become that natural. Um, so where should we worship? Another trick question. Given our definition, we proclaim God's worth everywhere, not just the church. So go to worship at your job. Worship at your school. Worship in the street. That's what you're made for. The downside, of course, is that um, 
we can bring this honor to God too because we are representatives. Next is number eight, which is the last one. Worship spans both the sacred and secular. In fact, for the Christian, all life becomes sacred. An opportunity to worship God. So, the second who? Who is a worshiper? Friends, you are a worshiper. You are a worshiper. Do what you were born and reborn to do. We were made for God. And we are restless until our souls find repose in Him. Great teaching of the ancient church. This is the framework for a theology of worship. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, we're going to transition in a couple of minutes here. Um, I'm wondering if there are any questions. Someone says how to merge. I think I, I, I try to answer that question by saying that you have to teach people it's not about them. You cannot get them started believing the Christian life is about what they can do and, and who they are. It is about God. When that emphasis changes, I'll give you a, quick, a really quick story. I had this woman who doesn't want to admit that she has sensitive hearing. We have a sound meter in the church. I do run the sound in my church. And I, we do it at 85 decibels. 85, which is the sound of when your windows are up in the car and you're driving, that's 85 decibels. And she was saying, oh, it's too loud, it's too loud. Okay, lady, deal with your issues and go get some earplugs. Because it's not the church, it's you. Sometimes we have to be frank. No, we're nice. We try to be nice. But it's not, it's not about you. Uh, let's see. How do we communicate the heart of worship? We need to teach people that it is a lifestyle. Sunday morning is the show. And very often it's without substance because the, f- the first six weeks, sorry, first six days of the week, you've done nothing but moan and complain and gripe. How can you worship if you have not trained yourself to worship? Um, implementing the heart of worship again, get people to worship more and more. Um, this is the last thing worship again if we say that worship is a lifestyle then we can then open worship to all different kinds of art forms it's not just a spoken word that's worship so I've been in services where people paint in worship people have banners in worship people dance in worship these are, these, these are things that God has given to us abilities to, to engage our world in a, at an aesthetic level why not use it? You've got young people. You know the quickest way to get young people to be involved is to teach them a, a musical instrument, to teach them to sing. In fact, when I was in New York, that's one of our strategies. We started a, a youth choir. We started a youth worship team. And it's amazing. These people are still in church today and still doing ministry today because they had this grounding, right? And, and instead of uh, relying on only those who can preach and speak, we open it up for anybody who can do anything. In fact, we had a, 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 a service called a What If Night, where people were supposed to do something they, they could never normally do, and they'd come and do it and present it to Christ. And it was very, very, very meaningful. All right, uh, that's, I think I've answered those questions. Any final question? Yes, one, two. Yes. Praise the Lord and give worship at church, but then through the week when they're 
problems come up, how can you, what kind of advice would you give them to encourage them to worship? Oh, yeah. Okay. Psalm 34 sounds like a nice little ditty. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast thereof. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I, I call upon the Lord, you heard me. We think, oh, that's great. You know where it, was, where it was written? It was written in the cave of Adullam. This is where David had just made a fool of himself in front of the Philistines. He pretended he was mad and let the spit go on his beard. This is a, he learned something that was important. That even in the worst times, in fact, that's when you should worship. Because this, God meets you there and there's also this release of spiritual power that helps you transform your inner man, but also helps to lift you up beyond that present circumstance. So you need to encourage them that worship can, worship is not fake if you do it People wrestle with this. Oh, it, it's probably fake because I don't feel it. You do it till you feel it. Uh, look, I don't always feel like brushing my teeth in the morning. <laughs> I do it because I need to. In fact, not actually not me. Those around me need it. <laughs> so, so, so you do it, and, and the more you do it, the more you practice it. It becomes the second nature. Yes, Michelle. Very, very good point. Very, very good question. Thank you. This, let me give a little background. I think one of the issues is that people aren't reading the Bible enough. And so when they're looking for metaphors to talk about God, they, what's the watchword? We want to be relevant. So we pull imagery from the old 60s rock songs, right? We take imagery and, and, and stuff from the old, the old Beatles songs and we kind of work it work it and try to baptize it and make it Christian. The real answer to this though is that we need worship leaders to be trained properly. I am tired of worship leaders who come up and say and they're trying to sound sincere. Well, you know, I really got, got nothing much, you know, I've been I've had a hard week this week, you know, but I I'm still here to worship God. <laughs> Sunday morning is not the time for you to work on your issues. Amen. Work them out at home. I don't want to hear, well, my wife argued with me this morning, and we had a hard time, and the kids were... No, you leave that whiny baby stuff at home. When you come to lead God's people, it's not about you. Amen. Right? So, you have to form yourself. This is something I did for years, um, when I was leading worship regularly. I'd stay, stay all night on Saturday night in prayer on the floor. Amen. Before God. All night. But, but it didn't begin there... It began like Wednesday, where I started to plan, okay, what is the Lord saying? How is the Lord directing us? Um, how, what best songs can I use? I didn't wake up Saturday morning and say, hey, you know, let's do... No, it is part of a longer process of preparation. That's why you need to send them to Osam, because what happens, their theological imagination, their theological vocabulary starts to open up. And then they're able to say, oh, I don't have to depend on the world. The Bible is rich and full. And I can feast there. And then when I teach people to feast there, they can grow. I hear the music playing. <laughs> Thank you so much, and God bless you.